on this episode of Resi Week, Klipsch partners with Snap AV for exclusive distribution throughout the United States. There are several bills making their way through state legislatures here in the states that would require an electrical license to pull POE cable and smart home privacy, what you need to know. All that and more next on Resi Week. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is Resi Week, episode 178, recorded Monday, June 1st, 2019. Everything to everyone. Support for AV Nation is brought to you by Access Networks and by Draper. This is Resi Week, the weekly look at the residential AV market. My name is Tim Albert. I am your host. In for the uh, celebrating uh, Matt D. Scott. Uh, it is Canada Day today. Uh, and He's Canadian, so there you go. Happy Canada Day. Uh, with me to discuss the uh, information and news that we have gathered this week, first and foremost, Josh Willits from Portal IO. Welcome, sir. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Also with us is our buddy uh, Bryce Nordstrand. Um, Bryce is from Access Networks. Welcome, sir. Hey, Tim. Great to be here. So a couple of stories. This, this first one we're going to hit actually comes from us from, uh, from CE Pro. Uh, there was a bill, a Texas bill, uh, that was going to require an electrical license to pull POE, so power over Ethernet. I want to be very clear here. There was one. Uh, that bill has since died in the Texas legislature. The reason we're keeping it, keeping this on the docket, is because it's not the first one, and it probably won't be the last one. Uh, from the article, quote, unquote, two bipartisan bills that were introduced earlier this year in the Texas uh, Senate and House Representative would have required any wire supplying more than 50 watts of power to be pulled only by a licensed, licensed electrician. Um, so to put that in, in English, it means any circuit that supplies or controls more than 50 watts of power would not be exempt from the new law and therefore would require an electrical license. Josh, we'll start with you on this. Not for nothing, but there's a thing called POE and POE Plus, and uh, lots of things run on it, including uh, wireless access points, uh, new POE lighting, uh, POE speakers, uh, where there's, there's an entire group here, and currently... Uh, in most states, the uh, AV integrators, the, the residential dealers can pull this with, with no problems at all, with no electrical license. There is a move, though, and, and several organizations are, are keeping track of it, NSCA is, uh, on, the, on the commercial side, of these laws that are trying to get passed. First, first question, though, is, is what's the move behind getting the, these laws uh, passed to kind of you know, make, make uh, pulling POE, basically Cat5 cable, but well, cat category cable, uh, but pulling that by a licensed electrician? Um, well, it's, it's because electricians are organized. We were talking about that before we started recording, right? So it's, I mean, that's really what's driving it in legislature. So um, I think that it's more it's starting to touch our industry more, but it's, this has been a battle that's been happening for years. And I will say that Cedia does a really amazing job following this stuff. Um, uh, in my experience and, and going back, I remember seven years ago hearing a presentation on them and they knew exactly uh, all of the bills that were out there in the different States and what the status was. And they, and they fight very hard um, on behalf of, of the channel. 
Um, so kudos to them for that. And I think, um, yeah, I mean, I think that's what's driving it at, at its core. And so certainly with the newer technology that's, that's out or coming out, um, and even, even the audio stuff that, uh, there's new technologies coming out from major manufacturers, even later this year at Cedia that I've heard that is, is based on, you know, POE audio. I think it's, it's more present in commercial, but it's coming into, into Resi. Um, as well. And so I think it's, it's making it more important to, to watch what's going on here in licensing. Now we've been talking for many, many years about dealers um, getting their electrical license or, or teaming up with, with contractors that are electrical. Cause you know, I don't, I don't know how many integrators really um, think that what separates them from competitors is their ability to uh, pull cable and, and that it's a real profit center for them. But um, it's still something that we have to keep a close watch on for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Bryce, from, from a, a technical standpoint, is there, in your opinion, is there, is there a legitimate reason to make sure that, that folks that are pulling category cable need to have an electrical license? Um, not really. I mean, the, the, the reality is that, um, and this, I won't make a lot of electrician friends with this, but most electricians don't pay, pull cable as neatly as most AV integrators do. And especially with small, delicate cables like Cat6 and Cat5, um, you know, I've been around some electricians that, that are pretty hard on those cables and, and are the reason why those cables don't work sometimes. Now, there's obviously people that do those things as well in our industry. Um, but it, it takes a different skill set. And, um, but I want to kind of go back a little bit. I don't think that this is the end of the world for us as an industry. I mean, there's a lot of people fighting this for good reason. Um, but there are very successful integration companies in this, in, in our channel that do zero wire pull and they, they sub it all out and they sub it to electricians because in certain cities and certain States, you can't pull wire. If you're a low voltage guy, you have to be an electrician and you have to be licensed and you talk to those companies and they're just like, well, here's the spec and you have to meet the spec. And if you don't meet the spec, then you're not doing my jobs and I'll find somebody else. So now you're a little bit more in control of your destiny and getting good quality work. And you start weeding out the bad electricians and get the good electricians. So there is kind of, you know, some, some good and some bad with this whole thing. Um, but I think as a whole in the state of Texas, this would be a bad thing because of, of my understanding in Texas is there isn't a very tight regulation on AV integration licensing there. Um, so it's not like other states like California, New York, Nevada, where they've got really tight, tight legislation. Um, so I think it's, it's there it would be a little bit more damaging to our industry, but the long run is, um, you know, I think that there's a, a, a real possibility that, that this doesn't really affect us as an industry very greatly. We'd still be able to sell and do a lot of the same things we do. And I don't know any electricians who want to put network switches in that power all those devices. So but that, that actually, you bring up a really good point. I, I have a buddy of mine in, in St. Louis here that he, that be, St. Louis, and it depends on where you go in St. Louis and, and the job site, there's a lot of, of union work that, that, that goes on. And certain parts, of, certain ones of those require a union electrician to do any sort of wire pull. And, and it's, it's not a uh, Missouri state uh, regulation. It's just that the way that the, that, the, that the agreements are within the construction industry in, in, in St. Louis. And... I was talking with him and he's like, you know what? It, it's actually some of those are some of the, my easiest jobs because you're right, Bryce. They, they walk in and then they give them the specifications, right? This is the wire. This is the, the quality of the wire that I want. We will be testing every single end, right? Because they're, they're required to, to, to put the ends on as well. 
And so his, his team walks in maybe a day or two later than what they would have because they don't have to pull. And then they walk in with the gear and they test everything and they plug it in and then they start their, their work. So they're, they're actually freeing themselves up a little bit. Yeah. And, and, and the thing about, you know, as an, as an AV integrator, the, what you want to be able to do is install the, if you have an, you know, a certain defined amount of time in the day, and let's say it's eight hours. And what would you rather do, be doing? Would you rather be pulling wire or would you rather be installing very expensive devices? Everybody's gonna tell you devices because you're gonna make more money. And if you're pulling wire, the, the cost of labor and the cost of the product and how much the return on that, it's not as high. So that's why you see integrators that are very successful in specifically New York is one of the, the big cities that, that pushes this, that they don't, they either have an electrical license and they can do it themselves or they, they sub it all out and specify it and they, and they're hands off on that. And they're very successful because of it. So it's a double-edged sword, you know, and depending on where you are in the country and, and the, the current legislation in that, in that particular area could, you know, dramatically or, or definitely affect um, your current go to business model. But that doesn't mean that it's going to, you know, make your business, make you go out of business. It could just change how you do business. Yeah, absolutely. All right, folks, uh, our next uh, story comes to us from technologyintegrator.net. Klipsch is partnering with SnapAV for national distribution, uh, according to the, the article, quote, unquote. Uh, SnapAV is expanding their network of brands and partnerships, uh, continuing to grow. On the heels of their acquisition um, of uh, Control 4, SnapAV uh, was in Indianapolis this week to take part in a major announcement involving Klipsch Audio. Uh, makes Klipsch and, and SnapAV uh, the exclusive distributor for Klipsch uh, in the U.S. here. Uh, Bryce, we'll start with you on this. This is an interesting move to me. Um, Klipsch is a, is a higher-end uh, speaker brand. SnapAV continues, in my perception, to not just expand their lines, but also expand their, their footprint. They, they, here in the Midwest, um, they, they purchased a, a couple of, of high-profile distributors uh, up, up north of me here in, in the Chicago area. Um, what was the thinking, or what do you think the thinking is behind um, SnapAV picking up clips? Again, not, they're not purchasing them. They're just becoming the, the exclusive distributor for them. Uh, everything to everyone. I think, okay. that's, I think that's what it is. I think it's about having, you know, the, I think the key phrase in that article was they have, uh, you know, the average integrator has two or three speaker lines. And if you look at what Snap has, they have one um, with episode and, you know, they needed, uh, they're going to pick up another one with, with the Control 4 acquisition. Um, so they really needed one more to kind of fill out that, round out that whole offering. And if they, if they continue to do so, you know, they'll, they'll snap up things that, <laughs> snap up things. Well, snap up things that uh, that make sense for their business model um, to be able to you know cover their bases as far as a product category. So if it's you know if it's um, uh, video over IP, they may have they already have their solution, but they're going to probably be looking for one that's on the higher end, and that might be coming the way of Control Four. If they're you know if they wire or mounts or power, you know they're they're constantly looking to acquire or a way to get market share even if it's not through acquisition, if it's through partnership, they're constantly looking for ways to do that. Um, and it, none of these moves are, are surprising to me. And, and I'm sure we'll see a lot more of the regional acquisitions that they're doing. You know, they did one here in Southern California as well. So 
I think that's going to be a continuing trend until they have a, a national footprint. Josh, it, it, you can correct me on this if, if I'm wrong or, or thinking incorrectly here. Um, is it in in my in my head the way I'm looking at at, at Snap AV? They have ships things obviously, you know, across the country, no big deal to, to get things. Why do they need a a national footprint on a local level? I guess is the best way to put that. Well, in general terms, we're a pretty small, somewhat niche industry, and I think that. Um, you only hit a certain percentage of the market who can ship into a warehouse or has a location that can accept shipments. And there's a lot, um, and distributors have been saying this for many years, there's a lot of will call business. There's a lot of guys that want to stop on their way to the job and pick up everything they need from their local distributor. They're relying on them for the support in terms of design. You know, we talked about that the last episode that I was on um, just about distributors helping dealers design systems, picking the right products. There's a lot that happens that, that could float completely under the radar of a, a big company that is shipping product out to dealers. And so I think that's, that's been the driving force behind the, the obvious acquisitions and putting this footprint in place that serves dealers where they are. Um, so, I mean, that's, uh, I think that's, that's the biggest thing that I see in terms of in answering your question. Yeah. If you look at, if you look at the distributor in Southern California, cause I'm pretty familiar with who they, who they acquire here. Um, they don't just service AV integration companies. They, they service electricians. They service pool guys that need speakers for the pool. They need, you know, they service a whole bunch of other industries. And as long as you have a resale capability or your business, they're willing to do business with you. So that opens up as Josh was saying, a much broader market than what you would get with just our little AV world. You know, security guys, everything that 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 snap maybe not doesn't have a, a foothold or as good a foothold inside of. And, and remember, you know, this isn't just it's not just snap here in this deal. This is a partnership with Klipsch, and uh, I believe um, this is this is for the Klipsch brand specifically, not some of their subsidiaries which are distributed. But for the Klipsch brand, who's mostly direct. I think there is going to be a concern with dealers about, you know, the exclusivity of that brand and the access to that brand um, is definitely going to open up a little bit more than it was before through, through the partnership. But they also, um, as most direct manufacturers uh, struggle with, had issues with distribution itself, fulfillment on the fulfillment side. And um, having a partner like Snap really takes them over that hurdle, not just for anybody in the channel who needs to access that product, but especially for their direct dealers. I, I don't know how that relationship will play out, but I see a big opportunity there to improve the buying experience for all the dealers. At this point, who is, is Snap's biggest uh, competitor, I guess, the best way to ask this, uh, as, as they're getting more and more you know, building on their regional uh, distribution centers by, by acquisition um, and getting more uh, brands. Who, who's their biggest competitor? Everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would say it's, it's Company. the yeah, interesting it thing about Snap to me is that they came at it from, they designed their own products and kind of created their own brand and yep. then found their waves with their way into distribution. Um, most distributors started as 
you know, in distribution and then started these white label brands and started actually selling their own speakers, their own mounts and all of this stuff. And so they're sort of, they both came at it from different directions, but that, that places snap squarely in the lane of the wave avids, the ADIs and, and all of the big distributors that are doing enough business and starting to cross over into other verticals like security and, and like electrical that have these national footprints. I think those guys are the biggest, um, obvious competitors in, in, in my mind. Yeah, I think from our, our, from our point of view, it's, it's a little bit different from, you know, from Access Network's point of view, it's probably a little bit different because um, we, we compete against, with, with companies like Snap and, and um, other distributors and distributed lines, we compete against, against program more than we do against performance. And, and program can win. Program can win a lot of times based on you know how much dealer, how much you know VIR dollars, or you get a free van, or you get a you know, van wrap, or whatever whatever promo they're running at any particular time. Um, those kind of things can be very attractive. But a lot of times you you when you look at competition, it's it's all of the other brands that are very performance driven, kind of against the program. And I look at Snap, and Snap's kind of the program. Um, they make some decent products. They make some products that I've personally used, but uh, would you call them high performance? I, I don't call Snap high performance products. I just that's just not something that I would put those two in the same category. Well, that's a key. That's a key distinction and point. There is is the the idea of the program, and I think we we mentioned this briefly before we started um, this session. But the, the fact that it's a lot easier for a vendor. Um, to sell a dealer a product, more of a product that the dealer's already familiar with um, than selling the dealer a new product. So let's say if, if you guys are selling Ruckus at Access Networks and you go into a dealer, you're hoping he's buying Ruckus from somebody else who's not doing a good job supporting him selling Ruckus, right? And then you can shift him over to get it from you or you can go into a dealer that's not selling enough Ruckus. He could sell more of it if he has the right partner. That's that's where Snap is looking at all of these different brands. It's, it's, it doesn't compete with their stuff. It's it's being the um, you know shifting that dealer versus going into a dealer and saying, oh, I I know you sell ruckus access points, but let me show you this fancy access point over here that you'd have to totally train your staff on and and learn how to sell it differently and learn how to install it differently and and all of this stuff. It's way harder to do that. I speak from experience, even with some of our own programs. It's been it's a challenge to get to this. That's why you have a sales force in play that, that focuses on shifting dealers, but it's, it's a lot more difficult than saying, Oh, you, you love that brand. Guess what? We have it. Buy it from us. We're a better experience. And is that just because of, of the heavy lifting when it comes to getting a brand new uh, brand off the, off the ground and maybe not even brand. Maybe I, I, just, I said that wrong. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe they know the brand, but they don't, they're not currently selling. It's, it, it, so it's, it. Yeah. It's, it's about, it's about, a paradigm shift within the company. It, that, yeah. That's the hardest part is, is you've got a sales cycle and some of these companies' sales cycles anywhere from six months to a year and a half, depending on the size and scope of the projects they're doing. So you talk about something today and um, you're going to talk about it again in six months because you've, you're probably not even in the bid cycle yet. So it's, it's very difficult to get them to do that kind of paradigm shift within the company. Usually what you're looking for is, you know, in anybody who sells a performance product, what they're looking for is for a non-performance product to fail. And once that failure happens and the company gets bit, then they're looking for a solution and they're going to move a lot faster. 
Yeah. And so that's what you have to be open to that opportunity. You have to be looking for those opportunities. So. Yeah. It's in the performance category. So I think it is category based, you know, versus uh, amounts category or even a, a, some of the speaker categories. So I, I think that plays a role, but I also think um, the emotional attachment to specific brands plays a strong role as well. You know, these dealers have existing relationships and an emotional attachment to maybe a specific brand. They, they like telling the story of Klipsch, for instance, and they don't want to move their business to another brand. Um, so I think both of those things play a role. Yeah. All right, guys. Uh, last story here before we let you get out of here. This comes to us from our friends over at uh, ResTech today. Uh, this is written by Jay Basin. And Jason, uh, Jay writes about smart home privacy. And, and he, he outlines a number of the failures over the last year or so and a couple of the, of the triumphs. And, and, and I'm going to start with, with you guys, uh, with you, Josh. Um, Jay talks about and kind of compares and contrasts you know, Google Home and, and Amazon uh, Alexa and some of the other, obviously, the, the IoT devices. But if you were advising somebody today who was, you know, I, I want to do the whole IoT thing or I want to work with a dealer and get some IoT stuff, what would you tell them if, if one of their concerns is privacy? How would you best safeguard yourself? If I'm an integrator, I would say, the first thing I would say is if you're looking for, a pri for privacy, I'm your guy. Like uh, the only one who can help you is somebody who knows um, everything about privacy when it comes to these devices and technology. I mean, that's, that's the value add that, that dealers present because this, this market, this sort of high-end, higher net worth individuals are more sensitive to privacy. And so I, I would lead with privacy when it comes to those, to those talks and those transactions. I mean, look at my, and this is not a setup. This is my Amazon Echo, right? You can see there's no wire plugged in because it sits on my desk as a stop. I just, I don't plug it in because I don't, and it's not just privacy, you know, but that's certainly a, a component of it as well. So I think, um, and there's some companies out there doing interesting things like the Josh, um, AI stuff is interesting because they take, they, they're approaching it from our industry's perspective of privacy is the most important thing. Um, yeah. So work privacy in with the, the AI technology and, and voice control. And I think that's really important. That can help dealers set themselves apart from the traditional IOT space that is, that is pushing up. All right, Bryce, same question. So I, I think that the, one of the problems that we have, or one of the things that we have to realize as an industry is that these companies, Amazon um, and Google and iRobot, if they're selling data from their, their vacuums to third parties or, or making that third party available, uh, what we have to realize is that they're going to move at a much faster pace than, than what our industry is typically capable of keeping up with um, from both a, an investment. You, know, you have to invest in a lot of time and manpower to actually understand and look at all of these things and see what's going on. Um, so the, from an investment perspective and then from a, from a um, product perspective, you have to go out and buy these products and you have to live with them and you have to understand them and you have to do all these things in order to uh, confidently go into a client's home and say, you know, this is the issue with this and this is possibly a, a privacy thing that you may be concerned with or it's not. It takes a lot of time and money to, to figure all this stuff out. Um, and as you can see with this particular scenario, unless you read the article, you probably had no idea that, the information was coming from your vacuum and being fed over to, um, to another device. And uh, as, a, as an industry, what we need to do is follow best practices for privacy and 
a lot of that starts with, you know, unfortunately for access networks, it starts with network implementation um, and being able to uh, isolate IoT devices. Most IoT devices now um, talk to the cloud before they talk to anything else in the house. And they go out and come back in, meaning they go to the cloud, they come back down to your device. So even if your device is on a different subnet within the house, it still can talk to that device based on it being communicating through whatever cloud service they're using. So you look at what Apple's doing and what Apple announced recently with, um, with, with where they're going. I think it was Apple, but uh, they're, they're going to be providing a, um, a separate VLAN capability for IoT devices. Um, which is, you know, something that if you're a network uh, savvy individual, you can already do a lot of those things. Yep. So those best practices are important. Uh, the reality, though, I think is is it just takes a lot of time and money to stay up with it. And you know, luckily we have people in the media that are doing some of that homework for us. Um, because I wouldn't have realized that my robot, because I have one of these robot vacuums, I don't have no idea that it was talking to somebody else. You know, <laughs> I thought it was just cleaning my floor. So, you know, security. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to. No, it's, okay. it's just an interesting. It's an interesting thing to try and keep track of and to try and stay on top of. And and uh, and if you follow best practices for for installation and for design, uh, you can protect most of your clients from these kind of things. I think security aside, um, there, you know, just the reliability aspect of of having a product that is constantly connected to the cloud. Is a, is a major issue. You know, last week, it flew under the radar, I think, for a lot of people. But last Monday, um, a little ISP in Pittsburgh uh, changed their uh, routing tables and propagated that out to Verizon and then the rest of the world and basically took, I think it was 6% of the world's internet traffic and funneled it into a black hole until Verizon was able to fix the issue. And so, um, you know, all of those devices that may have been trying to hit uh, Google uh, Amazon, Facebook, they were all affected by that. Um, that, you know, people see that when they're using IoT devices and it goes down and they need to access their locks or they need to look at their cameras and all of a sudden it's unreliable. Now you can't, you know, cameras access or um, remote access to any product is is only as good as the internet connection. But um, there's also a lot of products out there that, um, you know, don't have to rely on internet access in order to work. And our, our industry does a really good job with that stuff. So I think that's, it's a big yeah. selling point. And I think that's, and I think that's one thing that this, that our industry should continue to focus on is, is creating products that are kind of a me too from a, from an idea perspective um, to some of the stuff we're seeing like Josh, you know, they're obviously in the, in the front forefront of voice, but they're holding so much of that data locally and not really using any of it to the cloud. Um, that that's important to a lot of the clients that have that would have Josh in their home. And I think that those are the kind of things that we need to see, you know, other companies continue to develop, um, whether it's control four or, or savant or whoever else is playing around in those, those type of devices. Um, and it's important to, uh, it's for integrators to educate themselves, which again, is the time investment um, on what the, what the pitfalls are of, of using um, the mainstream devices in, in high, high profile client homes. Well, in, in Bryce, to your, to your point, it, it is somewhat me too, but it's a it's a professional version of, of me too, right? Right. Yeah. Uh, I I I point back, and this is not a, a plug, but but Barco was one of the first companies um, that I noticed take the wireless video and, and do it in, in a commercial way, right? And then it, we we all saw, you know, when when Apple came out with with AirPlay, um, and and 
I worked at a, at a, at a community college and, and, you know, professors and, and the, the president wanted to be able to throw the, the video up just like I can at home. Right. And so for a long time, Apple TVs were deployed in, in college campuses, in boardrooms, because that was the only uh, consistent way to do it, even though it was a security nightmare and IT departments hated it. And then other companies came along and said, oh, you guys want to do this? Okay, well, let's do it in a little bit more secure way and a little bit more, uh, I guess, a proper way and, and following a little bit more procedures. But you're right about, about the whole Me Too side. Um, yeah. Uh, gentlemen, that is actually going to do it. Um, Mr. Jots, well, let's uh, thank you so much, sir. How do people find you or Portal.io? Uh, Portal.io is the website. And uh, my email direct is josh at portal.io. All right, very good. Mr. By Bryce Nordstrand from uh, Access Networks. Thank you, sir. Thank you. How do people find you or Access Networks? Uh, www. It's a lot longer to say than World Wide Web, but .accessca.com. Um, and then my, my email address is bryce at accessca.com, or we can reach anybody in our sales department, sales at accessca.com. Right, very good. Uh, my name is Tim Albright. Uh, for me, don't go, uh, don't follow me on the, on the Twitters, but go by the website, avnation.tv. That's avnation.tv. You'll find this program and a host of others, including our other weekly program, which is the one that I normally uh, host. It's our, our professional, our commercial uh, AV uh, weekly news. Also uh, check out our digital sided show, architect show, and so much more. Also while you're there, check out our supporter section. These are the folks who help us financially help us bring you Resi Week and all the other uh, coverage, including CDA coming up in about two months. Uh, and Access Networks is one of those. So we thank them for their support. So all that and more at avnation.tv. That's avnation.tv. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you so much for watching. That's all the time we have for Resi Week.